Welcome to another Comic Detrimental. I am Dan Lust. Dan Wallach and I convened for a Twitter Spaces earlier today. We were on for about uh, an hour and 15 minutes, so we're going to reproduce the audio here. We're not going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, I'm joined now by Mike Lawson, our producer extraordinaire. We're going to try to tie up some loose ends that have come out since Dan and I recorded our spaces. Mike, kind of a big day for the Deshaun Watson saga. It is certainly not the end as we addressed in our Twitter spaces, but we are certainly closing one chapter. What are your overall thoughts? So Peter Harvey made his ruling and the suspension was increased from six games to 11 games, uh, as well as a fine of $5 million for Deshaun Watson. That coupled with the NFL and the Browns putting in a million dollars for a total of $7 million to create a fund that will support nonprofit organizations to educate healthy relationships, sexual misconduct, um, sexual assault, and, and survivors and whatnot. But We've covered this so many, so many times from the start of all of these allegations through the increase of the number of plaintiffs in the civil action, the busbyisms, everything, you name it. And then we got to a situation where it was the first time the NFL has done a third party, a neutral arbitrator to, to arbitrate this issue of punishment. Judge Robinson rules six games and then the NFL appeals and Peter Harvey, who's actually on the NFL's board. So it's not necessarily a neutral or a third party, but it's better, I guess, than Roger Goodell. He makes this ruling here. So I think ultimately you talk about the commonality of settlement, right? And you think that no party is necessarily happy with the what the result was because Watson's camp wanted six to eight games. The NFL wanted a, at least a season to an indefinite suspension. 11 games kind of sits right in the middle there. That's just kind of, that's kind of how it works when you go to arbitration media, mediation settlement. So that's kind of where we, we've ended up here. We're going to break it down. Dan and I, again, had our, our fun Twitter spaces. Uh, Dan and I are 0 for 2 in not having technology issues overcome our Twitter spaces recently. But, you know, I think we got a lot out. So the only thing that, that I, I want to add, you're going to hear us, we're literally breaking this down in real time. We didn't know everything. The only thing, to, to Mike's point, we did not know at that time about this third-party behavioral expert that had to weigh in. According to Adam Schefter, Deshaun Watson's reinstatement is contingent upon his compliance with the treatment plan. Quote, if he does not comply, his reinstatement could be delayed, plus further discipline. So the third-party behavioral expert, uh, we spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about uh, how Judge Robinson issued this edict that he was not allowed to see masseuses that were not club-employed uh, therapists. So it still kind of remains to be seen whether that is still in effect, if Judge Robinson's whole decision was vacated or if that part was kept, or if this third-party behavioral expert's going to make that kind of recommendation. But I think we can jump right, Mike, to uh, the spaces. And on the back end, we'll talk about the press conference that was going on while the spaces was going on, and some of the comments and the official statements that were made by Tony Busby, the attorney, Watson, the Browns, a little bit of a messy situation. But I think before we go to our audio podcast sponsored by Themis Ball Review, Mike, we have experienced lawyers on this podcast. We have young lawyers that listen to the podcast. We have um, just some random sports fans, but this read is specifically for our legal community. For those law students looking to find the top bar prep company in the galaxy. Look no further than Themis Bar Review. Head to themisbar.com slash condetrimental. We do get a fancy schmancy discount, but we can't tell you what it is. You have to head to the site and uh, it's a nice discount. Okay. With that said, let us kick it to our Twitter spaces. 
and long Twitter spaces, we emptied the tank. Honestly, Mike, I, I'm going to say, I, I don't, I'm not really like a bragging person, but I think we've forgotten more Deshaun Watson things than any other podcast has covered. I, I had totally forgot Buzzbeisms, and I had so much fun with that. That was like a year and a half ago. I forgot that we used to say that. Listen, we really emptied the tank. We had, Dan, Dan's uh, audio crapped out after like 15 minutes, so uh, I had to, to carry the torch for an hour. But there was a lot of Busby things, and I'm literally teaching a class in it, so I was pretty current on all the old stuff. Mike, anything to add before we do? We move over to the spaces? No, no, I don't think we need to bury the lead. We jump right into it. Okay, let's do it. Let's head over to our Twitter spaces. Let's hit it. Let's get started. First of all, Dan, I'll, I'll, I'll give you your first take on this because I saw about 20 minutes before the news came out, you put your flag down and you said your prediction, uh, shocker, was 11 games. So, Dan, we are live. I will let you take the first victory lap here. Well, you know, it's not because my favorite player is Mark Messier. Uh, I, I, I gave it some, you know, long thought. Basically, it came down to what I felt was what could be a PR victory for the league. And in reading Judge Robinson's opinion, um, one, I guess, statistic stood out in, the, in that she was, as she was analyzing all the prior arbitrations and suspensions under the personal conduct policy, the longest one for sexual misconduct was 10 games. So I thought, well, if... If it's tied for 10 games, well, maybe this one is worse than the other 10-game one. Well, if you, if you land at 11 games, the league can say that this is the most severe suspension for either violent or nonviolent conduct in the history of the personal conduct policy. It comes a little bit closer to splitting the true difference between Sue Robinson's six-game suspension and the full year sought by the NFL and then postseason games. So maybe it was a little bit closer to where Rob, to, to where Watson wanted it to be than it was where the league wanted it to be. But the 11 games being the longest in the history of the personal conduct policy, I thought, was something that the league could hold out there as you know, in, in the face of any criticism over the severity of the suspension. I mean, it's as far as they've ever gone to suspend any player, and there have clearly been cases that have been as bad, if not worse, than this. So a couple things, uh, and I've just retweeted both of them. People need to look at this. So the Browns have issued a statement. Watson has now issued a statement. I'm just going to read in part from Watson's statement. I'm grateful that the disciplinary process has ended and extremely appreciative of the tremendous support I've received throughout my short time with the Browns organization. And it goes on. Yeah, I, actually, I should read this part. I apologize once again for any pain in this situation has caused. So uh, when Watson says he's apologizing again, that's – at least by my count, the second time he's apologized, the first time being about three days ago. So um, certainly something has changed within the Watson camp where they're uh, telling him it's okay to express some type of remorse. So, um, Dan, I wasn't as pointed with an 11-game uh, prediction, which I will give you all the credit for. I didn't see anybody else calling their shot with 11. Um, I said 10 to 12, uh, and people that have listened to our podcast, and if you are coming anew and you have not listened to our show – um, I, uh, you know, we've been pretty clear that we thought that in order to avoid a federal court case, the suspension here in terms of games had to be less than a year. So for those not following the whole build up to today, uh, you know, whether you want to believe the reports or not, the NFL uh, had floated out or someone on the NFL's behalf had said that the NFL was willing to accept a uh, suspension for Watson before Judge Robinson's ruling as long or as for as little as 12 games with some type of suspension. So Watson obviously didn't like that deal, wanted to take his chances with Robinson, who issued a six-game suspension. And the NFL, you know, to the extent they wanted to, could have pushed for a year or 
which was being reported, uh, an indefinite length of at least a year. So for Watson now to come out and settle for 11 games, his side can say it was a win. Hey, we didn't accept the 12 games, so we got an additional game back from Watson. Um, in exchange, Watson is paying a $5 million fine. I saw a, I'm not sure if it was the official version, but there is some version out there floating out of an NFL release that he also has to seek some type of counseling, some type of um, NFL-mandated uh, sessions. So that would be similar to uh, the Ben Roethlisberger case once upon a time. So, Dan, I'll give you all the credit for, for narrowing down to 11 games. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you yeah. this. Are you, are you a little disappointed that we don't get a federal court case out of this? Oh, of course. I mean, we'd have we'd have you know, this great content to talk about for the next two months. Of course, who wouldn't uh, you know want to see this happen? But this is this is a real life situation. This is a player's livelihood. Uh, this is the Cleveland Browns' business, and this is the passion and the you know the the zeal of the fan base that just wants to get on with the business of you know rooting for their team and having the games matter. I don't I don't think fans root for litigation. It's just people like you and me who weigh in on these controversies. And while I'm sorry to see it go. I think this is a very just result on, you know, for all counts, right? The NFL gets the most severe suspension in the history of the policy. Watson, importantly, gets to play this year and not run the risk of losing in federal court on appeal. Even if he were to win in the district court, he could end up being Tom Brady and serving his suspension the following year, which would mean he's missing games in three consecutive seasons. So it's a big win for him. And importantly, uh, he gets to keep all but $5 million of that lucrative contract. Uh, I think he was able – I think what I, what I alluded to last night on um, Cleveland.com is that I was being cynical and I thought that Watson would trade games for money. And if he were to be able to keep more of his money, he'd be willing to increase the amount of the suspension he would serve. And I, I think the proof is in the fact that the fine is only $5 million, which is a very small fraction of his overall salary and certainly doesn't represent a normalized 11-game suspension. So he got off financially in very good shape. And one of the kickers to this deal was that the NFL and the Cleveland Browns are each going to contribute a million dollars on top of Deshaun Watson's $5 million and that this will you know, fund and support the work of nonprofit organizations across the country that educate young people on healthy relationships, promote education, and prevention of sexual misconduct and assault if this is a legitimate press release and not some uh, you know, fake press release where somebody slapped the NFL logo on, on a piece of paper and copied it. So Pro Football Talk is a... saying that that is accurate. That that release okay. is accurate. The NFL has not released it yet. People, we've we've tweeted that one as well, so you can check our respective feeds. Yeah, yeah, and it's also a win in a way for Peter Harvey, who now doesn't have to have his objectivity called into question any longer. Because if he were to, to have imposed a full year suspension, including the postseason, and given the NFL to the to the T to the to the decimal, everything that it had asked for, he would have been lambasted, at least by the Players Association and in federal court papers, as being nothing more than a lackey of the National Football League. So he gets to come out of this without having to do the hard work, and he keeps his reputation intact, at least from the perspective of, of, of challenges to his objectivity and partiality. And I think that's no small thing uh, for, for Peter Harvey, and hopefully he got paid for for writing a draft opinion, so he gets he gets all of he gets all of the fees associated with the work, but none of the accountability. So I think that's a win-win for him. 
Okay, so I'll, I know we have some Cleveland fans in here. To the extent you guys have a question, Mike, uh, our, our lovely producer, Mike uh, Lawson, is running the uh, conduct account. So if you do have a question, raise your hand. We're happy to bring you up. Um, so I, I'll be the one to say it. If the Cleveland fans want to get mad at me, they can. Um, uh, but while, Dan, you, you were speaking, I pulled out my, uh, my calculator app on my phone. And what I did, I did some really complex math. I took 11 games, right? I hit the division sim- symbol. And I divided that by four. And that math, very complex math here, works out to just less, about 2.75 games per sexual assault. So I know, Dan, you said, and, and I'm happy to you know, we get into it, that it's a win-win for everyone. But there is certainly a contingency that's, that's out here uh, that's going to say, listen, 11 games might seem like a lot for one violation of the personal conduct policy. But let's not forget Judge Sue Robinson, a former federal judge in Delaware, found that there were four counts of sexual assault. It was four for four. The NFL only presented four women uh, to Judge Robinson, and Judge Robinson found that all four uh, were confirmed. And uh, the standard she used was something called a preponderance of the evidence. It's a fancy way of saying more likely than not, a fancy way of saying for our sports betting people, like 51%. So that is the exact opposite of what two grand juries found uh, in in Texas. So, you know, we can say 11 games is a lot and it's unprecedented, but we're dealing with, at least in in my standpoint, right, and I think something the NFL might have been so inclined to argue, we did not see the NFL's papers on appeal, but that this could have been viewed as four separate violations of the personal conduct policy. And in 2022, right, if... Whatever math you want to do, 2.75, whether you want to round up to three or round down to two and a half, you know, two and a half games or three games per sexual assault could be viewed as some as still being very light. So I know, Dan, we had an extensive conversation on our podcast, right? Are we going to suspend him for all 20 different counts? Is that fair that that he could be out for years and years and years? You know, I I think that maybe is, um, you know, it's an academic argument. But here we're dealing with four. uh, And that's, in, in some sense, the precedent that's being set. Sexual assault, no, and sexual that, assault that occurred for Watson standard. I know I shouldn't have said precedent because we're not we're dealing with a settlement and not an actual decision. But right, yeah, when we're talking about this case moving forward, it's going to be viewed as right the version of sexual assault that Sean Watson committed resulted in suspension per offense that was somewhere between two and a half and three games. So that's, no, that's you, 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 one way to read it. I, you can't read it that way because if if all twenty five you know plaintiffs had stepped forward and proved and, and the NFL had brought them you know into the proceeding and proven the case then he's suspended for five years and I think the league has already set the precedent of not aggregating penalties for multiple offenses I mean in Sue Robinson's opinion on page 13 she points out that uh, in the three instances in which prior cases involving nonviolent sexual assault or violent sexual assault uh, led to suspensions in excess of six games. All of those involved multiple incidents of domestic violence, assault of multiple victims, multiple incidents of domestic violence again, and, and you're talking about, uh, for at least violent conduct, a range of between eight and ten games. And if you were truly going to aggregate punishments based on a per-assault basis, if you're starting with a baseline of six-game suspension for violent sexual conduct, well, with a multiple instances or multiple victims, multiple incidents of domestic violence, then you're looking at 12 or more games if you're aggregating, and the league has never aggregated offenses. I think what it's done historically is 
enhance the punishment, not by, you know, using pure math, but, you know, just sort of, you know, almost like a, uh, a, not a multiplier, but an enhancement of some, you know, number of games, not based on six games per incident or X number of games per incident. So the league has already set the law of the shop and they're not going to aggregate the punishment on a per offense basis and land at some ridiculously high number if you have Dan, I, I think your your audio might have cut out. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just jump in here. Well, Dan, you, you get your mic back on. Um, you know, I I don't. I mean, it's not a ridiculously high number, right? To to a certain point, it's just basic math. And and just Dan, um, you know, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks here, right? What we do not know, right? We do not know the dates associated with the four women who the NFL presented, right? We know that they are. Um, at least the 24 women, the, the complaints that we did see filed in civil court, those were dates that ranged from, you know, uh, 2020 to early 2021. So, again, right, it is what it is. It's now at least, uh, you know, pending NFL confirmation, and maybe we're going to have that while we're on the spaces, that that's going to be written in ink. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily correct the way the NFL viewed this, right? If you have an offense that occurred, uh, I'll make up a date, right, in April of 2020, that's one of the four, Right. And the, the number, the second of the four occurred in, uh, we'll say, September of 2020. And the other two occurred in, we'll say, February of 2021. I don't know. Just just because the allegations might have something in common doesn't necessarily mean that you should view them as one giant violation of the personal conduct policy. And the, the other point we should mention, and, you know, I, I said a term which I probably shouldn't say precedent because precedent is never set when there's a settlement that's reached. Precedent's only going to be set by a judge or um, you know, by someone uh, in, in Judge Harvey's position that's ruling in an, an affirmative matter. And Dan, to your to your earlier point, and Dan certainly just pop on once you, once you have your mic figured out. Um, but you know, that's to Dan's point. There really, it's not really precedent being set when the parties work out a type of, of settlement. Um, it's just not going to be binding precedent. So maybe the NFL didn't want to have any precedent on the books for that specific reason. People have asked me why the NFL only presented for women um, and not the 24 or I think there was a 25th that at one point had filed an additional lawsuit. But, uh, you know, I, I think she withdrew it when the, the, they asked to make her name public. And then there's also this numbers problem that 30 women have reportedly settled with the Houston Texans. So somebody had asked. Right. And then I guess the other number, just to close the loop on our, our you know, Sean Watson uh, calculus problem, 66 women. Uh, were alleged to have provided to Sean Watson with massages in the last, uh, you know, I think over a 17-month period as reported by, um, you know, the New York Times. So the question is, right, if you really want to get to the truth of the matter, why doesn't the NFL present all 66 women or all 30 or all 25 or all 24 or even I think it was 12 that presented criminal complaints over in Texas? Um, if you ask me, right, I mean, I, I know what's been reported, Pro Football Talk reported uh, that the NFL picked four women in particular that I believe had some type of um, additional uh, evidence. I think it was um, subsequent text messages with Deshaun Watson, just to, I guess, contemporaneous evidence is to show that these women maybe uh, had, had some more substantive evidence to prove that these um, occurrences existed. So uh, that's what I saw. I have not heard it you know, directly from the source. But if they did, in theory, present all 24 women, all women that thought it was important enough to put their name to a lawsuit, right? The, the Deshaun Watson's camp had asked them to identify themselves. So could the NFL have used all 24 women? Sure, they could have. But then we'd be dealing with a very complex numbers problem, right? 
uh, you know, where that basic math I just did, right, 11 games divided by four gave you 2.75 games, uh, you know, to, to Dan Wallach's point. I think Dan is trying to rejoin us now. Um, to Dan Wallach's point, if the NFL had presented 20 women and had won, right, because they won on all four of the cases they presented to the NFL, then it's a much, much different problem. Uh, and I don't think we could as easily get away with, well, you know, it's basically just one violation of the personal conduct policy. Or it's four, but we're not going to exactly call it that. Nobody, please, guys, don't do the math because then it doesn't make sense. Um, I think the NFL, uh, you know, and at least the larger point I was getting at, um, you could talk about precedent, not precedent. But, you know, the, the math I did, right, and even the first math under Judge Robinson, six six-game suspension divided by four games, again, there are people, right, very smart people that can just say this is a game and a half per, per confirmed account of sexual assault by, you know, the impartially appointed judge. So, um, you know, there are certainly going to be some people that say it's light. Um, but if we're just trying to, you know, and, and as Dan and I said, and I, I went on uh, Sports Grid TV this morning, I said probably it'll be between 10 and 12 games uh, with some form of counseling and some sort of fine. That's, you know, what we figured out because the NFL – you know, I think all reports that, that the NFL was pursuing a one-year suspension with, with uh, you know, Peter Harvey, former New Jersey Attorney General. Now, uh, you know, he sits on the NFL's diversity committee. He kind of had a feeling where that was going. And the one thing that we've always said that Watson uh, and the NFL had in common here is they wanted to put this thing in the past as quickly as possible. Um, maybe they didn't agree on a lot of things. They certainly agreed on putting this thing in the past. Um, and... You know, Watson could say he was going to make this thing very messy and take this to federal court. Um, but as anyone can tell you, and I saw um, uh, Fordham sports law professor Mark Conrad in the chat a minute ago, there's a lot of some, some very good history with respect to Tom Brady and Ezekiel Elliott. Courts are very hesitant to disturb the rules and decisions of a private organization absent some type of evidence or fraud. And at the end of the day, people can complain about this disciplinary process that Judge Robinson, you know, uh, she found a six-game suspension. Uh, and the NFL apparently could uh, appeal to Goodell or a handpicked appointee. How is this system fair? Well, the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to it. So uh, Watson, I think, knew, and as most attorneys or, or sports law professors in, in our space, said that Watson had, you know, if you're a betting guy, right, Watson was a huge underdog to actually take this case on the merits to federal court. Could he have attempted to take the case up? Yes. Could he have made it very messy? Yes. Could he have continued this narrative and this loomed over the NFL for a full year like it did with Tom Brady? Yeah, it could have. And that was really the only leverage that Watson had left, right? That I can make this thing as messy as possible unless you're going to give me a favorable settlement here. So what does he walk away with? I think Watson was reported um, before the Sue Robinson decision. He was willing to accept the suspension as high as eight games. The NFL was willing to accept a suspension as low as 12 games, but with a fine and counseling and whatnot. And we basically, a uh, shocker, we ended up with a number right in the middle of those two. So people can say that the process didn't work out. Um, but if you just knew those two numbers ahead of time, 8 and 12, and it ends up at 11, it's not, not so much of a shock. So we can take a small victory lap, nothing, nothing so huge. Um, I think Dan's having some tech issues. Does anybody else have any questions in the crowd? I see some of our some of our listeners in here. I'm happy to answer anything. Uh, I'm trying to. I... We do have one question, Michael Delilo. I'm gonna, Mike. I'm gonna bring you in now. As as Mike is getting brought up, um, Dan is having Dan Wallach. Uh, I think just tweeted that he's having tech issues. Hey. So um, I'm good, Mike. Go oh ahead. yeah. So I I did want to ask. I get Dan kind of addressed it at the beginning that the the NFL has something to hang its hat on here. 
that this is the largest suspension they've ever given. But that also kind of implies that they have to have something to hang their hat on because I think to most, like, the layman, not sports law-centric people, this is not going to look good for the NFL. I think based on your quick straw poll that you've done on Twitter, most of the responses are this is too light. And we, you, the discussion on precedent, I think, it kind of leads into do you think that the main motivation for the NFL agreeing to a settlement of only 11 games, knowing how it would probably be viewed, is – that they want to use, could they use this as fair notice, or would they, or is that one of the motivating factors, or was it more to avoid a federal lawsuit and to get the most, you know, suspension, the, the largest suspension they've ever had for a nonviolent sexual offense? Um, because to me, it, it seems like if the if they knew they were going to have to fight this PR battle, the bigger motivation here is that they could use this to say, look, here's the here is the new standard, here is your fair notice that this is what could happen to you if this behavior happens in the future. So a couple things, and I just put, um, Mike, I'm happy you referenced it. I shared the tweet up there. So it's the current poll we have going. Sean Watson disciplined Colin, 11 game suspension, a $5 million fine. The options, if anyone's reading it with me, are too light, too harsh, or just right. So, you know, I, I, I just call it like I see it. Right? I, I wear my lawyer hat, but I'm also, you know, I, I feel like I have a good, pretty good sense of how Twitter was going to react. 70% said it was too light. So, you know, Dan phrased this, and I, and I think he's, I understand why he said that. This is a win-win for, you know, for the NFL, for the NFLPA, for, you know, for Watson. Um, but there is still a loud contingency online that's going to say, right, just do the basic math. 11 games is too light. Now, Mike, to your point, the specific point you raised, and it's unfortunate that Dan Wallach, uh, you know, is having some, some tech issues. But, um, you know, Dan has been very... Uh, adamant on this particular point that fair notice that Watson that was going to be his argument if if and when he took the case to federal court and we had a, an interesting conversation and first for those that did not listen I implore you guys to check out our podcast conduct detrimental uh probably the most appropriate time to have a podcast named conduct detrimental given uh it's essentially uh you know Watson was suspended under the NFL's personal conduct policy um but here the argument was really right what Watson did Right. The NFL was trying to seek this unprecedented punishment for something that really has no precedent. So the question is whether there was fair notice provided to Watson by the NFL for this kind of offense, some type of nonviolent sexual conduct. So, um, you know, that's something that Judge Robinson, it's kind of a, you know, when you're dealing with an unprecedented case, you kind of have to make the law of the land. So Judge Robinson, I, I you know, we, we discussed it in the podcast, I think, um, attempted to bend over backward to shoehorn this case from a, uh, from a game perspective to find some type of precedent. So six games is, is an amount that's been used in NFL history before. Certainly this type of offense, and I'm not going to get into the, the kind of grosser details and allegations that are here, but this type of offense had never come up. Um, and uh, Mike, I know you didn't ask it, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to get around it as, as um, sensitively as I can. What Watson was accused of, right? Um, I know that uh, under the NFL's definition of sexual assault, which they gave um, at the hearing, uh, they weren't, I don't think it was, it's not something that's contained in the personal conduct policy or whatnot. Judge Robinson felt that this, this conduct fell within the sexual assault definition, but also felt that this conduct didn't meet the definition of a violent offense. So, you know, I think that what, what Dan was getting to, right, violent, right, that's a term of art. I don't necessarily know what defines something as violent or unviolent or not violent. If you, and I implore anybody that's very interested in the case or any type of lawyers or law students that want to read the complaints here, uh, 
I can make an argument that some of these acts were violent. Um, I'm, again, I'm not sure which of the four of the 24 women were presented. Um, we will, I don't think we'll ever know that. Um, the NFL has, has gone to great lengths to try to hide their, um, the identity of those four. But at least some of those 24, I, I, if you know, it's not violent. It's pretty close to the line of violent. Um, and then people, again, I'm, I'm not going to say it here. It's not, not my place to do it. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, at a, at a minimum, right, all 24 women were saying that something non-consensual happened. So whether you want to say it's violent, nonviolent, uh, I'm not sure where that gray area is. But, Mike, to your point and to Judge Robinson's point, we're dealing in issues of gray, right? What, what, at, at a certain point, sexual assault is by definition, right? If you say the word assault, I think people's um, imagery turns to some type of violent offense. So, yes, you say it's sexual assault, but it's nonviolent. So that's what leaves a lot to be desired, and that's what Judge Robinson's point, I think, is, which she's getting into in her decision of lack of fair notice, because we don't, we don't really know where this is. Right? Is this fit in a, in a clear-cut box of violent or nonviolent? It didn't really. So Judge Robinson said this is not the case to essentially give an unprecedented punishment when it's not really clear what, what box this fits in, and the NFL is trying to force into a box that has not yet been established. So, you know, um, that's, really, that's really where it got to. Um, but at least my my stamp on this, I think from a, you know, from the lawyers negotiating a settlement, yeah, 11 games makes sense. But if you're just looking at a, a independent federal judge finding four counts of sexual assault, then you end up at 11 games, right, 2.75 games per sexual assault. I think it's totally fair that the poll is working itself out to say that 70% finds it to be too light. And as for the $5 billion, I mean, the guy just signed a $230 million guaranteed contract. So... The guy's got $5 million and loose change sitting on his couch somewhere. So I, I, I know Dan said he would pay, you know, he'd pay more money for less games or, or vice versa. Money is really not an object to, to show Martha at this point. $5 million sounds like a lot, um, and I'm happy that's going to charity. It's not that much money for, for someone like Watson. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, anybody else have any other questions? I'm happy to, to you know, kind of close the record here as we move on. Yeah, Dan, we got one more question here. Uh, looks like it's from Ani. Hey guys, can you hear me? Hey Ani, you're you're good to go. Cool. It's sunny actually. It's a little weird. I use the lightning bolt for the S, but uh, so so that, if anything that would be a Oh, okay. Scene, well, anyways. So two uh, <laughs> just two comments. So one I I think you know when you're doing the math on the suspensions, I think really the more clear-cut evidence is if you look at the Brown schedule after 11 games week 12 is at his former team, the Houston Texans. So I think that's a money grab game for the NFL, and I think that may have played into the decision a little bit. I don't, you know, I don't know if they can officially say something like that, but um, to me, I could see that being a um, a marquee game for the NFL for all the wrong reasons. Um, but my my real question is the five million dollar fine. I'm wondering how arbitrary that number is. Um, like, did Ezekiel Elliott get a fine for for his suspension for domestic violence? Um, did Ben Roethlisberger get? And I know that was uh, quite some time ago, but I'm just wondering where this fine kind of compares to uh, some other historic fines. Um, I don't. I, I don't have the amount of fines. I do know because um, only because I had looked at the case very closely. Roethlisberger was similar. Was was ordered to seek counseling, and again, uh, the news is obviously just breaking. I, I have not seen the NFL's official release on this. This 
kind of draft version was leaked where or I don't know, draft or unconfirmed version said that that was going to be ordered as well. So as for the counseling, to the extent that's true, that 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 does have some historical um, again, I don't want to say precedent, but it, it has been done before. The money, to your point, I think is, is arbitrary. I think they just found a number that made sense. I could call it pocket change for Deshaun Watson, but $5 million is life-changing money for all of us, every single one of us in the chat. So it is a lot of money, and it's not really fair to say, hey, Watson makes $230 million guaranteed. Because keep in mind, right, Watson is making a $1 million. Uh, he, I think he signed a $45 million signing bonus. It's making a million dollars this year, and then next year is that it's the contract starts to get backloaded. So I think they made that number up. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any, any, any real reason for it. Um, I will say, and I had a conversation with um, a friend at Fox Sports yesterday, who uh, I'll, I'll spare his name, but he, we were talking about Judge Robinson's decision, which people tend to forget, right? In addition to the six-game suspension, Judge Robinson, uh, I don't know, we're talking about what's arbitrary and what, what the judge has the freedom to do. Judge Robinson ordered Deshaun Watson basically like a restraining order from all like non-team-issued massages, which... I don't know. Look at any type of uh, real decision from a you know a real court. You're never going to have that in there. Um, so I imagine the NFL asked for it, which is surprising. So um, yeah, uh, that didn't make its way uh, at least that language into the press release that I found. Um, so I'm not uh, I'm not sure if that's still going to hold uh, to the extent that um, Dan and I we had an interesting conversation on the podcast whether Judge Robinson's six-game suspension is being vacated, and now this 11-game suspension is being instituted, or if those finer points of the Judge Robinson decision um, are being kept, and then we're just tacking on, right, five additional games, $5 million fine, uh, and then whatever other extracurriculars. Um, Sonny, you, you had a good point, and I, and I, I said it on Twitter, but I didn't say it here. Um, yes, it is bizarre that the way they work this thing out is for Watson to return in week 13 to play the Houston Texans in Houston. Um, you know, time, time permitting, I'll, I'm happy to get into it here if, if people want to hear it, but there is a long and uh, we'll say a problematic, problematic role of the Houston Texans in this case. So I, I'm not sure why the NFL set it up for Watson to return and have his week one game in Houston, right? And the way the schedule was set up this year, which I know they didn't mean to do because at that point, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield was still a member of the Cleveland Browns, but week one was supposed to be Watson versus Baker Mayfield, which is another lightning rod of a, of a ratings draw. So that game uh, is not going to be as, as big of a draw as it once was. Uh, I, again, I haven't had the opportunity to check the lines. Pre this suspension, there was a possibility, however remote, that Watson would file a temporary restraining order in federal court in order to play in that week one game. Uh, with that potential in mind, Browns were a plus one dog on the road in Carolina. I imagine that line has now since moved to uh, maybe a point, a point and a half, uh, you know, for the to still be the dog. But uh, just to, to your point, the NFL, if they really were after ratings, they would have let Watson play in that week one game and figured it out. Um, uh, but to the counterpoint, um, I don't know. I, I feel like you'd want to take him off the field for that game. I feel like Watson probably wouldn't want to be on the field for that game. Um, it's probably, uh, you know, for our football fans, it's probably a win for the Cleveland Browns, no matter if Jacoby Brissett's a quarterback or, or Watson. Um, but certainly that's going to set the stage. And if, if anybody watched the Jacksonville Jaguars preseason game against the Browns, um, again, I'm not, not my language to use here, uh, but the Jaguars fans who have 
no affiliation whatsoever to Deshaun Watson. They let him have it from the crowd. Could you imagine the response and the reaction it's going to elicit from the Houston crowd? Um, you know, it's it's not great. Um, and uh, Mike, tell me if we have another question. I just I can't see it in the chat. The only other thing I'll add, um, and this is for I don't I don't see any. I, I know we have some listeners that are pretty stout uh, Texans fans. I don't I don't see the, the, the few I'm looking for in particular in the chat. Um, we just had about two weeks ago, uh, and actually before before I get to the Houston stuff, um, right now there is one civil case remaining uh, against filed against Deshaun Watson. One. So uh, people are saying all the cases are settled. That is not true. There is one case that remains. It is an individual um, dating back to last year's trade deadline. There were reported to be four holdouts of the at the time. There were 22 lawsuits that were filed. Uh, 18 of 22 were willing to settle last uh, uh, trading deadline. Apparently, there was some type of tentative deal in the works to send Deshaun Watson to Miami, which would have been a whole separate saga. But uh, the Dolphins were reportedly asking that all 22 cases be settled. So there were four holdouts. Um, and then fast forward, uh, all but four of the cases were settled. I think it was like a month ago. Uh, and it was reported to be the same four holdouts that didn't want to settle last year's trade deadline. But uh, Watson thought it was okay to settle basically all but four of those cases. Since that time, three of those four cases have settled. So there was somebody, some woman who was, was not named um, you know, I'm sure I could figure out her name from the act of filing. I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not going to put her name out. Um, but one person does not want to settle this case. So as long as one person's there, uh, you know, this case is still going to continue with a trial date scheduled right now, which is always subject to be adjourned and moved back. But right now it's looking at April of 2023. So the story is not over. Right. Um, and just while we, before I get into the text and stuff, right. Um, Again, I told you the numbers at the beginning of this call, right? That were 67 uh, masseuses that had, uh, were alleged to have given Sean Watson massages over that 17-month period, according to the New York Times. 30 women that had settled cases with the Houston Texans. Some of these instances are alleged to have occurred in 2021. The statute of limitations, which is a fancy way of saying in, in legal talk, the deadline to sue, or the deadline for a case to be brought in Texas, the operative one that we've been working off is two years. So certainly a read on the situation where the statute of limitations has not run on more cases to be brought against Deshaun Watson, especially, right, when 30 women have settled with the Houston Texans and only 25 have ever filed lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And for all the people that are sitting out here, right, those 66 or 67, whatever the number was, you're certainly going to have some of them, right, that didn't file lawsuits, that didn't settle with Deshaun Watson or the Houston Texans, that are saying, wait, all these women just got paid. What's to stop me from doing it? And, right, very important here, the NFL personal conduct policy does not have any any version of the statute of limitations or any version of a deadline to sue. It does not exist. So if any of these women were so inclined, right, who have not come forward in any way, shape, or form, and let's say for a hypothetical, as many, many of you guys know, I, I'm a sports law professor, a hypothetical, which I sometimes give my students, my sports law class, Starts in four days, so start to get I have to get a little bit ramped up on these hypotheticals. If there was a, I'm going to call it a 31st person who had not settled with the Watson with Watson or with the Houston Texans in any way, shape, or form, and they came forward with maybe some darker allegations, something that uh, maybe we could all agree, right, uh, could potentially be seen as being closer to that line of uh, violent versus nonviolent, something that uh, would be different. There's nothing stopping this person from coming forward, and let's say I'm going to make up a time frame, four years similar to the time frame that, that Trevor Bowers accusers over in baseball waited 
before Major League Baseball became aware of their claims. And this whole disciplinary process could, in theory, happen again a year or two years down the road. But that's that's the fear if you were Deshaun Watson or you know a Cleveland Browns fan or you know you just want this thing to be done and you're just a fan of football and you're you just want to see uh, you know get the story out of the headlines that you're constantly you know if you're Watson or his camp looking over your shoulder because you don't know right you, you I don't think he kept a comprehensive Excel Excel sheet of every massage he ever got with people's contacts and social media handles he's never going to know that and until unless and until all of those cases are settled um, you know with some type of like you know, non-disclosure agreement or non-disparagement agreement. Uh, you never know if someone's going to come forward. Um, so I'll, I'll add this kind of one final point. And Mike, you stop me at any point if there is a... We, do have, we, have, two, we have two questions, Dan. Go ahead. I'll, I'll save my Texans commentary for later, but it's an interesting chapter. Go ahead. It doesn't It doesn't look like we can get Wallach back in. I don't know what uh, what's happening there, but uh, I saw John Nucci come up first. So I'm going to bring up John. And then Evan Mattel has a question as well. True. Hey, John. Hey, Nick, can you hear me? You're good, John. Okay. Uh, so I'm just, I, I have a question kind of zooming out on this uh, and looking at this entire process. And he was initially given a six game ban by a neutral arbitrator. And then the NFL just appealed and then they were able to appoint their own uh, person. Um, so I guess my question is has anything really changed with the NFL's, you know, this, this punishment policy where Goodell kind of has, complete authority and final say um is this neutral arbitrator thing like is this kind of just a way to maybe put some pressure on the nfl um or has anything really changed in that respect where goodell is just the uh final arbiter and uh his his you know decision rules so um uh i don't know if this is good or bad i'll just i try not to give like hot takes but i just try to call it like i see it the 2020 CBA, I remember, and we, we covered it in our show, um, you know, we covered it online. That was a vic- everyone was claiming a victory, and you know they got it in under the wire, and it was ratified. Actually, like when I say under the wire, under the uh, COVID pandemic wire. So people were saying, oh, there's this new disciplinary procedure. It's great. It's an improvement over the old process. We're gonna have an impartial judge. The only way the NFL can determine the suspension amount is if an independent judge actually finds there's a violation of the personal conduct policy. So. Before I start bashing the system, there is a, it is an improvement because an independent judge has to find that the personal conduct policy was violated before Goodell could either appoint himself or his designee to uh, up the suspension or modify it as, as they deem fit. So that's, you know, it's an improvement. But let's say Judge Robinson, which didn't happen here, found like, okay, uh, four women were presented with sexual assault. Uh, I only found that violation. One sexual assault occurred. The other three, I don't find that the NFL met their burden. I'm issuing a one-game suspension. I'll make a number up. Two-game suspension. Three games. It doesn't matter. The NFL could still, if they wanted to, right, up the number to a full year. Right? They, they have the ability to do that. Um, and that's the fear, right, when you have a Goodell or someone to their hand-picked designee. Um, obviously, you're bound by precedent to some extent. But there's what you can do, right, versus what the NFL will do. And, you know, I, I, I was, as Wallach's point Dan made earlier, um, I'm sure there's a decision drafted by Judge, or I was going to call him Judge Harvey. He's not a judge. Peter Harvey. The only judge I know, Judge Harvey, is uh, Steve Harvey, who is also not a judge, but a uh, point for a different time. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure there's a decision somewhere with 
uh, Harvey trying to create precedent out of thin air. And that's that was always the fear in this case uh, that, you know, when you're dealing with an unprecedented situation, normally you're going to get some type of unprecedented punishment, which uh, Judge Robinson didn't really do. She, I kind of think, found a convenient number of six, which is the number that the NFL loves to give out as punishment nowadays. Um, and she kind of shoehorned her way in there. Uh, but, you know, to your point, uh, I don't want to bury this, right? What, what can the NFL and NFLPA do about this policy, which gives, still gives the NFL a, a lot of control over this process? It lets the NFL solely pick either Goodell or their designee. That, that second decision to pick the judge, or I don't want to say the judge, but the person, the decision maker, the NFLPA has no involvement in that. So Peter Harvey is someone that sits on the NFL's diversity committee. It's someone that handled the Zeke Elliott case in the past. And rest assured, right, if, the, if Peter Harvey would have given an, uh, a bad finding for the NFL in the Zeke Elliott case, there's no way he's going anywhere near the Deshaun Watson case. So that's the fear. It's always the fear in these cases that if you decide against the NFL, uh, maybe it could be great for the player, but that's going to hurt your wallet, right? Um, you know, to the extent that I'm, I'm sure Harvey's firm was like it loves the publicity from this particular case, but uh, you, you have a lot of incentive to decide, right, the, the expression, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. And that's that's still this incentive structure. John, the, the current CBA, I believe, expires in 2030. So, uh, you know, we're two years in. Um, you know, uh, I imagine this, this policy is going to come up a lot. It's going to be a source of contention. This was the first time the system had come up, so... Dan and I, uh, Dan Wallach and I, the sports law nerds and us, we were excited to see if a judge would have potentially treated this case separately from the Brady uh, and Zeke precedent because it's not it's not exactly the same structure, but in practice it, it, we've, we've kind of ended up there. Um, but we're not going to see that. So the case doesn't really have any judicial testing on it. And the NFL has got to feel pretty confident in the, absence of, in the absence of precedent that goes against them. They're going to feel pretty good that the Brady and Zeke Elliott precedent is still on point. And... The, the looming prospect of losing, right, a protracted federal court case, that was, you know, Dan and I spoke about it at length, that was always the motivation to settle for less than a year. Um, uh, not to go down the rabbit hole, but just, uh, you know, whenever we do these, I have, I have so much Watson random information in my head, right? Watson is making a $1 million base salary for this year. Uh, so... The Browns fans will tell you that that's just uh, the way that they handle their contracts. I think the easy response is to say, well, sure, the $1 million might be a normal thing Browns do, uh, but they certainly don't give out $230 million guaranteed to every player that walks in the door. In fact, no team has ever done that in history. So Watson's contract, $1 million base for this year, it's 40, I think it's 45 or 46 next year, and then it continues to go up. So the contract is backloaded almost like uh, no other contract in NFL history. So if Watson would have taken this case up, right, knowing that the Brady and Zeke precedent is the closest precedent on point and those players lost for uh, potentially Watson to take this case up for a year while fighting uh, to have the suspension uh, held in abeyance pending the results of the case, there was always that universe where the suspension would have taken, in, taken effect in 2023. In that sense, right, Watson's not losing what is it, like a $50,000 game check for that million-dollar base? He's losing, like, you know, seven figures every game he's missing. So um, it, from a financial perspective, it never made sense for him to take the case to federal court. And it, it could have, but it would have been a massive, massive risk to his wallet. So in addition to paying the attorneys, which I'm sure are charging him a, a, an absorbent hourly rate, uh, it was 
from no 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 win proposition to potentially have the suspension go into effect in, in 2023. So um, it's a long long and short way of saying the NFL knows that the system helps them right now. The absence of you know they have two good cases on the point. Um, they don't necessarily need a uh, a new case to tell them what we think we already know. So I don't think the NFL wanted this to go up on uh, you know to the federal court either. Um, long way of saying it, but uh, I think think that answered. So the short answer is. Uh, 20, 2030, and this, this system is going to be in place for a while, unless the NFL, on their own, makes an application, you know, to change it. But I, I don't think they'd be inclined to. All right, Dan, we have one more question. It looks like from Evan Mattel. I do know Evan. Evan is a friend of the show. Um, and uh, after Evan's up, I'll give my little Houston uh, nugget uh, as we as we move on to the next chapter of this case, but. I'll save that for after Evan, but go ahead, buddy. Hey, Dan. So I think the inevitable comparison after today is going to be Calvin Ridley and the full indefinite suspension for gambling. Um, I know that the CBA says that the commissioner has full control over the punishment decided for gambling. Do you find that as a failure in the CBA's language compared to something like Deshaun Watson's case, or is that a failure on Roger Goodell's personal decision-making? Um, maybe both. Um, you know, I, I am happy you, you brought that up, right? So Calvin Ridley gets a one-year suspension. Uh, Stephen Ross, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute, he gets a six-game suspension from, uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins. Um, there's one, oh, DeAndre Hopkins gets a six-game suspension for, um, you know, a positive test for performance-enhancing drugs. Ridley, obviously, sports betting. Stephen Ross, an allegation um, that he uh, was tampering with Brady and, and Sean Payton. So... And then you end up with 11 games for Watson, who at a certain point we could say was accused of sexual assault, but a judge found right, that he committed four uh, acts of sexual assault. Again, it's com- the complete opposite result that we had in the, the two Texas grand juries, but I'm just, that's what we're dealing with, right? The NFL didn't make a suspension, actually didn't even put him on the exempt list because of the, um, you know, the allegations. They, they decided to suspend him only once a judge found that sexual assault occurred. So. Um, to your point, Evan, um, and for those that don't know, Evan uh, is our site editor for conduct-mental.com. So obviously, Evan had to come with a, a very good question. Um, it's all over the place, right? There is no rhyme or reason to these amount of games. And certainly, the easy point to say is that Ridley was not punished under the NFL's personal conduct policy, right? Uh, Stephen Ross, tampering is very different than sexual assault. Um, and then, if you want to make things even more complicated, right, uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of, of the New England Patriots, had his own allegations of uh, massages, right? And uh, people, again, not, not my place to bring it up here, but people can Google it. Um, we're talk, trying to find a similar case that has occurred in NFL folklore, and the owners are supposed to be held to the same personal conduct policy that Sean Watson is being punished under. I don't know. It's not, it's not that crazy to say that, hey, uh, maybe it's not the most fair thing for Watson to get 11 games when Bob Kraft got zero, right? And to a certain point, they're both allegations, right? Um, I don't, I don't think. Obviously, no judge ruled on uh, the Kraft case, and Kraft's case ended up getting thrown out on a technicality on on a, a bad subpoena. But um, neither here nor there. But I, I think that argument, Evan, that you just brought up, like this varying, wildly different treatment of suspensions and, and this owner punishment that I'm bringing up, that I think was the NFL's fear. Right, but this case or this disciplinary hearing leaves the confines of the NFL, uh, you know, their, their safe space, right? The safe space of Judge Robinson, where, you know, I'd love to have seen the NFL and the NFLPA's briefs. I'd love to have seen them. We're never going to see them. I'd love to have seen the NFL and NFLPA's uh, appeal papers. We're never going to see them. 
my gut has always been that that Bob Kraft argument, something along those lines, is what Watson was prepared to argue, uh, be it Bob Kraft, be it Dan Snyder, uh, Jim Irsay, you go through. There are owners that have had uh, issues, allegations, whatever you want to call it, but bad stories who never were suspended for 11 games, let alone a year, right? Um, this is not Donald Sterling's uh, NBA, right? This is the NFL, which we've never seen something rose to the level of Donald Sterling. Maybe Jerry Richardson could have got there, former owner of the Carolina Panthers, but he sold the team very quickly. So, yeah, I think that was the the NFL's MO, right? We, we talked from Watson's perspective. His only leverage, as far as I'm concerned, like I think he knew he had a losing case at the federal court level, um, but he could have made this case as messy as possible. And not just the fact that he filed it and the case existed for longer, that it existed in the background for a year and it muddied up the NFL. To Sonny's point, and it was a good one that he raised before, right? I don't know. Like, There's going to be more attention paid to Watson game, so it's not really a ratings issue. It's an optics issue. The NFL, I don't really think, is as, is as concerned with this case floating on the background as much as they are these federal briefs being filed on a system for any of our lawyers here that any lawyer can access with the PACER account, right? Um, I could have accessed them uh, unless they had some type of sealing order on the docket, which they, they might have had. But that's the fear that maybe the judge file or the court, court clerk files something wrong. And then all of a sudden we see access to some of the NFL's best kept secrets, um, which is, you know, we, we talked about it on our podcast last night. We did a Trevor Bauer segment. Uh, somebody filed something in court uh, a week ago, a Trevor Bauer counterclaim, and we found out a lot of information that was not publicly reported previously uh, about one of Trevor Bauer's older accusers, I think when he was with uh, the minor league affiliate. If it's the Columbus, I can remember the team, but it's, it's the Guardians minor league affiliate that he was with once upon a time. There's some older allegations. So that's the fear. When the case actually gets to real court, not I'm not going to call it kangaroo court, but uh, kangaroo court, football court, it, this is not a real legal proceeding. This is a private rules, anything kind of goes, right? Goodell's handpicking the, the, the person deciding the case. That's not really that fair. Um, but I think that was the NFL's fear. Win or lose, that Watson could have made the case very messy. So people, you know, I'm getting some DMs. Why did the NFL feel inclined to settle the case? I don't think they necessarily care about preserving the relationship with, you know, Deshaun Watson, the NFLPA, right? Those guys are going to go to war all the time. But I'm sure they do care about protecting the interests of the owners, right? The 32 NFL owners are really who runs the league. It's not Roger Goodell. Um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the lawyers who are representing the NFL. It's the NFL owners are the client. And to the extent that some owners were being mentioned, right? Jerry Jones has separate, you know, bad news stories. People can Google those. Like, that would be the fear. If this case with such a high-profile magnitude comes out and Watson, who hired some of the best sports lawyers in the country, uh, Jeffrey Kessler, people can look him up. He had the NCAA versus Walston case, number of high-profile cases. If the, if the NFL really wanted to call Watson's bluff, one really bad, you know, uh, legal brief, and I'm saying bad legal brief, but a very well-written legal brief that paints the NFL in a bad light. I'm not sure how much that PR is worth, but for you know Watson to go into the night, the NFL looks like they got a win because they forced. You know, looks like again, we'll we'll see if the NFL confirms it, but uh, these counseling sessions, five million to charity, eleven game suspension. It's unprecedented. Both sides can paint this as a win. So, again, for those joining late, that's why that number, eleven games, was what Dan and I predicted. I said 10 to 12. Dan nailed it at 11, so he gets all the credit. Um, but, uh, yeah, that number made sense because it's a number that both sides can use as a win. It falls in that sweet spot. Um, Mike, any more questions, or should I give uh, my final Texans rant? And I see Darren Heitner has joined. Darren, I'm giving a preview to the lecture I'm going to give to your class tomorrow, so apologize if any students are getting the advance notice. Um, 
Mike, tell me if we have any, any questions or else I'll, I'll end with the Texas stuff. No other questions that I see. Um, oh. was, was that a, oh, someone has a question or was that a, oh? No, it looked like, it looked like Darren Heiner gave you like a high five. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I'll, I'll end with this. So there, there are going to be a lot of people, um, and maybe people that uh, you know got their their law degrees from Twitter University, um, Twitter University School of Law. I shouldn't slander Twitter University. Twitter University has I have no issues with Twitter University School of Law. Separate issue. Um, they're going to say this is over. It's in the past. We don't have to worry about this anymore. Uh, and if you were a certain ESPN reporter, uh, I think the comment was the truth has come out, right? So you can't say those things, right? Because we don't know what the story is written, you know, is being written and it's still being written. One civil active case, we still have not seen the ex expiration of the statute of limitations, even from that the last date that we know of in 2021. So you still could have more criminal complaints or civil complaints that are filed here. So everybody hold their horses and like put in the, the ink there, right? Write this in pencil and then you can kind of adapt. The one piece that is not being discussed enough um, uh, is this kind of Houston Texans uh, investigation, allegation, whatever you want to call it. Um, Mike Florio, who people know pro football talk, Mike is a, a former lawyer. I don't know if he still practices. Maybe uh, someone can, can correct me on that. I don't think he still does. But he, had a, he reached out uh, in his capacity now as a member of the media, former lawyer, and he asked the NFL, this is a, from a tweet of his a couple weeks back, uh, is there an open investigation into the Texans? And the NFL, at least according to, to Florio, was being very coy and didn't give a firm answer to that. We just saw about, my dates here, it's sports laws all blending together, but it was within the past month. The Miami Dolphins uh, got hit with their version of an unprecedented punishment for, uh, they called it tampering. I think it was probably a combination of the tampering and the bribery allegations, but story for another day. That investigation is, is, I knew the NFL announced it because it happened, the allegations were brought on by the Brian Flores class action discrimination lawsuit. And in the wake of that, that lawsuit, and, and people know, right, uh, Brian Flores was alleging he was uh, offered $100,000 per game to lose on purpose. So, uh, and he also had allegations about tampering with an unnamed quarterback who turned out to be Brady. Um, but people know that story. That They announced an investigation, and then like six months passed, maybe more than that, maybe like eight months passed, um, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know, it was right in the middle of the Sean Watson story, um, you know, this unprecedented punishment going towards the Miami Dolphins. Okay, so what happens with the Houston Texans? Why is that Week 13 game probably more meaningful than people are even going to give it credit for? The Houston Texans were alleged in that really, uh, you know, I think it was Jenny Varantis with the New York Times. She alleged two things of, of note in that story, and it was a long one, so we don't read the whole thing. This is the two points to take away with 66 masseuses in a 17-month period is a, a crazy number. That's what was reported. The other part of that that I believe was previously unknown was the Houston Texans' alleged role with Deshaun Watson. Okay, so I'm going to stop there for a second, and I'm going to fast forward. The Houston Texans uh, traded Deshaun Watson for three first-round picks. Uh, they received three first-round picks, and then Deshaun Watson signed a $230 billion guaranteed contract, which we got a lot of, too. So... That's quite the, you know, the haul for the Texans. It's great for Deshaun Watson. The week or two before the grand jury uh, came back, or the first grand jury came back, I read reports, and I'm sure uh, I'm, I'm sure people can find them on Twitter, that there was some rumbling that if Watson was charged with it or came out of the grand jury proceedings with a felony, um, that was on the table, that he could have been released. So the Texans very quickly went from having, uh, you know, their, their, you know, prized asset, 
released. And then he was cleared on the indictment, the first indictment, not the second. Second one happened in the middle. But then in the middle of those two indictments is when this trade happened for the three first-round picks and Watson got $230 million. So the Texans went from, like, leaving empty-handed and everyone's saying, why didn't you trade him during the entire year where he wasn't on the exempt list? You know, why didn't you trade him? Uh, to making out with kind of like a king's ransom for, for Watson. So um, now back to the allegations, right? The New York Times reported that uh, early on, before we knew about all these cases, that some that I don't know if it was one of the people that sued, but it was a a female that Watson allegedly got a massage with, uh, posted on social media something along the lines of like, "I'm going to, you know." Uh, you know, the, the gist of the allegations that I'm going to go public with this and, and whatnot, but it was posted on social media. So in that New York Times story, and this was this is pre-March of 2021, when we started finding out about all these cases. So we've covered this case in the podcast for like a year and a half, literally. So on all these twists and turns we followed, but, you know, not everybody was necessarily onto the case for that long. So the that that uh, I guess this somehow this came to light, whether Watson told the team or the team found out about it by monitoring social media. I'm not sure, but the Texans, according to this New York Times report, their response was not like, let's go and run uh, and get Watson to stop doing these acts. The allegation that occurred from uh, that's, that was assigned or attributed to the Texans is that they that the head of their security, which is a former uh, Secret Service member, uh, ended up placing a non-disclosure agreement in Deshaun Watson's locker. And... Watson, according to later deposition testimony, has acknowledged this fact that he was given an NDA by the Texans uh, in that same time frame after that first uh, you know, uh, individual came forward on social media. And that Watson then used that NDA for subsequent massages uh, or, or with different women of different masseuses. So if people don't know what an NDA is. Uh, it's a fancy way of saying, right, like this is an agreement. You are not allowed to speak. Uh, about what's going on in this massage, at least for this particular context, or else there's some type of financial penalty. It's usually how NDAs are crafted. So, okay, that's the allegation, that the Houston Texans gave him an NDA not to, I don't know, not to stop these acts from occurring, but almost to kind of facilitate them. So among a number of allegations that was uh, were addressed in that um, New York Times story, right, this was this big Houston Texans one. The Houston Texans maybe helped Deshaun Watson do this, and then you wonder, okay, well, the Texans didn't play him the entire last year, so there's some, there might be some people in the chat that are like, well, well, he was obviously, he was on the exemplar, so they couldn't play him. False. Well, he was suspended last year, so they couldn't play him. False. He was completely eligible to play. Roger Goodell said as much and confirmed that uh, this is back in October. I was just looking at these, these uh, old news reports. But in October of 2021, six months into when we knew about all the worst stuff of the complaints, right, all these bad allegations, that Watson was eligible to play, and they didn't have enough to put him on the exempt list. So then you have to wonder, okay, um, I don't know. I don't know what more the NFL needed to know. It's a separate uh, uh, soapbox I can get on with Roger Goodell. But the question is, right, which I don't know the answer to, and the New York Times story didn't speak about it, and the NFL is certainly being very coy about it. What did the Texans know? Were they fully forthcoming with the NFL about what they knew about Deshaun Watson then? And if they were, why wasn't Deshaun Watson suspended then, right? Similar question. Were the Houston Texans forthcoming with information that they knew when they were in trade conversations with, uh, I think it was the Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, and obviously the Cleveland Browns, were they forthcoming with information at that point? Um, 
it's a fair question, right? We don't we don't know those answers, but you know certainly we brought this we brought this up on the podcast uh, a few times, and even again kind of last episode. The question is if the Cleveland Browns knew of all the stuff that would happen, right? There would be I think two more lawsuits that were filed. The Houston Texans would get brought into a lawsuit. The Houston Texans, mind you, would settle with thirty women, right? So the Houston Texans. I don't know. They, they, I'm sure they signed a general release that said they admitted to no fault and all that fun stuff, which you normally would see in release. They still paid 30 women off, right? Five more women than had ever sued Deshaun Watson. So that the chapter in the Houston Texans involvement is not that book has not yet been closed. So, um, you know, I, I just I, I put it there, right? Um, the, the Cleveland Browns. The question is, if they knew all of this stuff would happen, right? Would they still have parted with three first round picks to the Houston Texans? And paid Deshaun Watson two hundred thirty million dollars for this black eye of PR that has that has hit them and will continue to hit them right for the next couple of weeks. It will ramp up as we get close to Week Thirteen, and you know we saw what the Jaguars fans did in Week One or Week One of the preseason with the, the chance to Watson. Again, people can Google it, um, but Watson's going to face that in every arena he goes to for the rest of the season. It's going to very closely resemble at least. Uh, you know, when I, I grew up, and I don't want to get so much into the weeds, but uh, I remember going to Nets games as a young kid, and the fans would chant stuff like "White Theater" at Jason Kidd, and I'm sure it was really hard for him, hard for him to perform under those levels. Um, and you know, I, I think Watson's going to face that. So the question is, you know, did the, did the Cleveland Browns, from a, from a due diligence standpoint, and the Cleveland Browns said we have we did our due diligence into Deshaun Watson? The question has always been to me, and I've never gotten a firm answer from this. And I don't even know which is better, right? Did the Cleveland Browns just not know? Did they not know all these potential things? Did they not speak, um, you know, to all the accusers? Which there was a lot of reports that from the accusers' attorney, this guy by the name of Tony Busby, who, again, another rabbit hole we can get down. He represented all 24 women that have filed lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. Separate wormhole, which we're happy to go down uh, if anybody has any questions afterwards. But uh, Busby said that he never spoke with any team, let alone the Cleveland Browns. So the question is, right, did the Cleveland Browns know of all this? and do it anyway, or did they not know? And the question is, if they did not know, right, uh, did the Houston Texans kind of withhold certain information? So I'll leave it there. I know I've been blabbing for a while. I had to filibuster a lot of time because uh, of uh, my, my uh, fellow Dan's um, tech issues, but that's the, the bookend. So again, one civil case remaining. You still could have more that are filed. You still could have more disciplinary NFL proceedings down the line if more cases maybe of a different character nature come forward. And the fourth one, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching very closely, the Houston Texans are not out of the, the doghouse, so to speak. Uh, the NFL has not cleared them. The NFL has not neither uh, denied or announced an investigation into them. But we are coming off of a, you know, 2022, we're, you know, halfway through the year, where the Washington Commanders, right, they had an investigation into the team. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, an investigation into the team. I don't know if it's an active investigation with the Raiders, but they had their own different stuff, I think, with the general counsel leaving and different, uh, different stuff that went over with the Raiders situation. But across sports, we covered a lot on our show, right? Be it the Phoenix Suns or the Portland Trailblazers. The NFL is not in the business of not investigating the team. The question is what the results of that investigation will be. So, yeah, I mean, those are your four narratives to, to look moving forward. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not in the business of just telling you random things uh, and just say, hey, this is over. The case is in the books. It's not. There's a lot more to still be decided. So, uh, Dan, t- Dan, let me let me pitch another question to you. Oh, Talking I about to wrap it up so cleanly, Mike. Okay, go ahead. No, no. Talking about the Cleveland Browns and their due diligence moving forward, uh, Darren Heiner, he's not in here anymore, but he just sent out a tweet not too long ago. Um, 
talking about the requirements to limit Deshaun Watson's massage therapy to club-directed sessions and club-approved massage therapists for the duration of his career, and that this release is silent on that issue, right? Uh, and whether or not that needs to be a requirement uh, moving forward, and if not, should the Browns have the due diligence to make sure that that happens? Oh, Mike. Okay, we have a lot of people here, so I'm going to get nerdy with you for a second. I, I alluded to it very quickly, but um, uh, whatever. Well, we're we're here. We're here. So I guess. Sports lawyers will be nerdy. I'll, I'll wear the hat for a second. Dan, Dan and I had a very nerdy back and forth uh, off the podcast, offline, and we don't we don't always disagree. We disagreed on this particular point, and, and it's because it's a new CBA, it's a new system. The question is um, whether that decision from Judge Robinson is still effective at all, period, or if the NFL has uh, essentially, right, the suspension, uh, the news of the settlement has vacated Judge Robinson's prior. Uh, order, uh, decision, whatever you want to call it. And now we're just dealing with whatever the terms of the NFL's release are, which I haven't had a chance to look at to the extent it came out. And if it has come out, Mike, certainly, um, you know, we can, we can address it. But, um, you know, where, I don't know. So well, I guess I'll, I'll stop here for a second. So the, the NFL's language speaks about the NFL can modify the punishment, or I don't want to say the NFL, but the person sitting in, in Peter Harvey's shoes can modify the punishment that's issued at the initial level. So, I don't really, you know, modified to me could mean a lot of things. Does it mean that the six games uh, and obviously this, this condition about this is, you know, uh, therapy or the therapist, is it vacated or are we again tacking onto the top? Dan Wallach seemed to think that it was tacked onto the top. Um, now, I'm not sure if that changes and I don't want to speak for Dan with there being a settlement reached and not an actual decision from, uh, from Harvey, right? The fact that it's a settlement could mean that both sides are wiped. Um, but my, I was of the opinion that I, I think it, there's a reading, if I'm Deshaun Watson's camp, that if I was taking this case to federal court, I would have asked for a temporary restraining order to have allowed Watson to play in week one and say, no, 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 the Harvey, in theory, in this hypothetical world, gave him a year suspension. So it didn't say six games and then add on the rest of the season, you know, six games that Robinson gave plus whatever I'm giving him right now. It said one year. And certainly it's a hypothetical, which didn't happen. Um, but I said in that world, right? Watson can appeal the entire thing. It's not broken up in such a neat way. So, yeah, the, the short answer to your question, Mike, is it's unknown. Um, that's why I think the NFL press release is going to tell us a lot. And if Watson is still ordered to stay away from anyone else other than, you know, club-issued uh, therapist, I would think that would be in the NFL's release. My gut is that if it's not included in the release, is that it's not applicable, but I don't know, as a non-legal advice, some advice to Deshaun Watson, right? I don't know why you, you would go to anyone else other than the club-issued masseuse. And that has nothing to do with these allegations, right? The team hires the best masseuses in the world, traveling with you wherever you go. And the point that I didn't raise here, but I've said in the past, right? 66 masseuses in a 17-month period. Oh, by the way, that 17-month period occurred during a pandemic, which probably already wasn't a safe thing to do, independent of potential legal liability. So, um, you know, I think Watson's learned his lesson. That, that doesn't have to be in writing for Watson for something that he should adhere to. Uh, one other note, Mike, and then tell me if we have any other questions. I, before Judge Robinson issued her decision, uh, we did a podcast. Landis is not on here, but I, I did a podcast uh, with Landis Barber, one of our contributors, and I, we had just seen news of the Kyler Murray contract. And the Kyler Murray contract at the time, they've since taken out that clause, but it required Kyler Murray to do like four hours of film study a week. And I joked, and I'm like, wow, if the Cleveland Browns saw that, 
they should definitely should have had put a massage clause in Watson's contract. That would be a no brainer. Probably pretty bad that they didn't do it. And then Robinson reached out and, you know, Robinson issued her decision, which had a version of that in it. Um, I think it's to all parties' interest for Watson to only use COVID issue therapists, but I don't, I don't really think it's something that needs to be put in writing. And if it does, I mean, and if Watson's really fighting to have that removed, it's kind of um, it's a weird look. Um, so let's see. Um, I, I, I think it's kind of a moot point. It should be in the NFL's release. If it's not, my gut is that it's not effective, but um, you know, NFL or you know, NFLPA would have to comment on that. Uh, Mike, uh, any further questions? Uh, no other questions. No other questions. Okay. Uh, cheap plugs on the way out. Conduct Detrimental is our podcast. We record twice a week. We're probably going to do an emergency episode on this, so certainly rate, review, subscribe, follow us if you have not already. Uh, Dan Wallach is at Wallach Legal. He's my co-host. Uh, and, yeah, we are both sports law professors in addition to being practicing full-time attorneys. Um, so, yeah, we, we cover all things sports and law, not just football. Um, but we, we tend to cover more football than most with uh, Snyder and Flores and you name it, we, we cover it. But uh, certainly the recent live uh, golf stuff we've covered, the Trevor Bauer stuff, um, the Ben Simmons grievance. Uh, we try to cover a little bit of everything. And then a special guest this week we had on Freezing Cold Takes, a friend of ours, former lawyer, which people do not know. Fred Siegel has a book that came out. So uh, our podcast just released this morning. Certainly check it out. And if you ever have any questions moving forward, you can always DM me. I try to respond to everyone. Sometimes I'm a little bit slow. Um, but don't worry, I will not charge you my hourly fee. Uh, I will just try to answer questions. But can't give legal advice, but I'll try to answer questions um, as best as I can. Um, okay, so uh, with that said, uh, I'm Dan Lust, again, for Dan Wallach and myself. Uh, and if you missed the entirety of this episode, we're going to put the audio for our, our episode that will come out, I think, either later tonight or tomorrow. But we're just going to drop this audio in. So if you came in late, don't worry. We're going to have this available for everyone. Uh, if you subscribe to the podcast, you should get it there. Um, again, that's kind of detrimental wherever podcasts are heard. And we thank you so much for listening to this. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more Deshaun Watson and more sports law coverage from us. Thank you, everyone, very much. I appreciate it. So for those wondering where Dan Wallach went, we were as well. This is a quote from Dan Wallach on Twitter right after he dropped that he tweeted this. Quote, sorry I dropped off the Twitter spaces. Can't log back in. Left on a high note, smiley face. I like the Dan put a smiley face. I'm not sure if Dan was actually smiling when he wrote that. He was very frustrated at the text. But listen, we got a podcast. The show must go on. We call the Twitter spaces live for 1215. We got to roll. And this podcast, Dan and I are, are now in very different time zones. But we got to make it happen. So, yeah, if you want Dan's takes on the subject, he is all over the place, posting his hits for uh, Cleveland.com. He's posting long threads. And Dan, uh, Dan's been pretty good for writing for ContactDetrimental.com. I, I leave that to our many writers around the country, but Dan's articles, when he puts them up, probably our most read content on the site. So certainly check that out. He has his most recent Watson piece pinned to his feed. Okay, speaking of quotes, Mike, let me give it to you. We heard from Watson. We heard from the Haslam's. We heard from Tony Busby. We heard from his agent, Watson's agent. We heard from everybody. What do you got? All right. I'm going to jump into the press conference that was happening while we were in the Twitter spaces. I was monitoring the spaces from the, the podcast account, and then I was trying to scroll through Twitter to see any updates. And I noticed that they were, they were doing the press conference with the, the Browns owner, Jimmy Haslam, and they were asking him many you know, it was all Deshaun Watson. That was the entirety of, of the, the press conference. And I think something that really stood out to me was they asked him, you know, I don't even know if it was a post question. I think, I think it was, 
it was basically Jimmy said that if he was to do this all over again and he had all the knowledge he knows now about Deshaun Watson, would he still make that trade? And he said, yes. He's like, I would, I would absolutely do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely would do it. You know, he was talking about giving people second chances. He said, he's like in this country, people in this world, you know, deserve second chances comparing the situation from Watson to Kareem Hunt saying, you know, we gave Kareem Hunt a second chance. Obviously Kareem Hunt, if you, if you didn't know about that, there was a TMZ video where Hunt was shoving and kicking a woman, which ultimately led to Kansas city releasing him Cleveland, then later signed in 2019. So it appears that the Browns really didn't show any remorse. However, there is a statement that was made by the one and only Deshaun Watson, which Dan, I'm going to kick it to you exactly what he said, but you talk about no remorse. I mean, this is it. Well, I just want to add on Kareem Hunt. If anybody wants to watch the video of Kareem Hunt, there is no video obviously with Deshaun Watson. You call it a push and a kick. The video is what is alleged and what's depicted on the video is nowhere near what Deshaun Watson was accused of. So it's apples, apples and oranges. And for, hey, great example for Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt has just demanded a trade out of Cleveland. So probably a better guy you could have used the example of. And, uh, you know, that's, that's for the Haskins point. So we could talk about Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's very different. What he wrote, and I just did a radio hit for, for, um, for one of the shows, and I said, what he writes, I don't really have an issue with. It's very curated. There's nothing wrong. It's, it's the lawyers are saying that. But when you play the game of telephone, when the lawyers prep him on what to say versus what he actually said, he runs into problems. Watson basically said he stands on his innocence, right? And then he, but he, he said in his press conference that he wants to apologize because there were some people that were triggered. So I'm like, okay, he stands on his innocence. So he didn't do anything wrong. Got it. But he wants to apologize to the people that were triggered. So I don't know who he was apologizing to. Was he apologizing to the Browns? No, I don't think so. Was he apologizing to the accusers? No, because he's saying some people were triggered. His first apology said, he wants to apologize to the women, to the people that were impacted. So, you know, Watson is walking a very fine line of showing remorse versus actually saying he did something wrong. So, again, just so people know where, where at least I stand, I am not one that is clamoring for this to show Watson apology. You know, as far as I can tell, like, Mike, you and I are big, uh, you know, combat sports fans, at least recently. I've become a combat sports guy. Right. It's almost a split decision. You had the grand juries come out on Watson's side. They say that no, you know, no misdemeanor, no felony sexual assault occurred. The judge comes in and says that sexual assault occurred. So Watson, you know, can make an argument, at least to himself, when he looks in the mirror and say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. His grand jury said I didn't do anything. And Watson's agent came out and basically bashed Judge Robinson today for saying that she had made up her mind because she read the NFL papers weeks before Watson put in his papers. So I guess from Watson's perspective, he is still saying he's innocent. He is not, he's saying he's apologizing, but he's not apologizing to anyone really in particular. And he, he keeps saying that he's continued, he's, he's never shown anything but respect to women. So it's tough. I don't, you know, I don't know why Watson needs to say all of the above. He can claim his innocence while apologizing to the Browns for putting him through this situation and putting himself in a situation where you're using 66 different masseuses in a 17-month period. I mean, I don't know. That's pretty bad. This isn't the end of it either. There's still one case. There's still one civil case that he hasn't settled. He only settled 23 of the 24. And there, there could be more that come out of the woodwork. And he was asked very pointedly, are there other cases that are out there that the public doesn't know about? And we've been on the show a million times. So for any of our new listeners, welcome. The Texans settled 30 cases with 30 different women. Deshaun Watson has only been sued by 25 different women. So certainly there could be five more people that never filed a lawsuit. They settled the cases pre-suit. So we never heard about them. 
but I would find it almost impossible for 30 women to settle with the Texans who are basically brought into the case on a vicarious liability theory. That's when you sue someone's employer because of the acts of the employee and they don't sue or go after the employee, that doesn't make any sense. I would say conservatively, there are five cases that we don't know about. If you're just doing basic math, you know, the 30 Texans cases minus the 35 that, that have sued him directly. And I, people are saying 24, 25. There was one woman who uh, voluntarily discontinued her lawsuit because she did not want to uh, announce her name. So that's where we're at. But I don't know, Mike, that's that's the show Watson. Unless you have the specific quotes. I mean, that's that's the gist. No, no, it just didn't show any sign of remorse. So we covered Haslam. We covered certainly Deshaun Watson. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson's agent's response. There. He had two. One tweet that remains up and one tweet that was deleted. Mike, deleted tweet first or the tweet that's still up? Tweet that's still up. Okay. Quote, Deshaun has always stated he is innocent of sexual assault. Nothing has changed in what he said. He also said he is remorseful. The decisions he made have created this situation. The settlement allows him to move forward with his life and his career. So let's fact check a couple of things. The settlement doesn't really allow him to move forward with his life and his career because there's still some other things floating out there, right? There's still 66 masseuses in a 17-month period, which the NFL has no version of the statute of limitations to come forward. We don't want to beat the horse that we talked about a hundred times. So the problem is, if you're just trying to figure out why the statement had to, why the, the agent had to say anything, because Watson half apologized, half didn't show, say he was showing more, said he stands on his innocence. So it wasn't really clear what he was saying. So, you know, Mulaget is filling in the blanks. Nothing has changed in what he said. He also said he is remorseful. Decisions he, he made have created this situation. Watson didn't say that. His agent had to say it. So whatever. Your agent, you, you pay them the big bucks, I guess, to, to speak on your behalf sometimes, right? Um, Sean has always stated he is innocent of sexual assault. He has always said that. But it's tough It's tough to make an apology, right? And, and Mike, in Watson's statement, he said, I'm apologizing again. So not sure. You, you could show remorse without apologizing. So I don't know. I don't want to get into semantics, but Watson's trying to play this PR like dangerous game. Uh, and I think you got to give Watson failing grades. Every time there's a microphone put in front of his face, the Haslam's face, you know, I just, I just think they keep falling all over themselves. That's just, that's just my personal standpoint. The deleted tweet, I thought was interesting. So this one quote, to be clear, comma, judge Robinson repeated the NFL's narrative. She received a brief from the NFL weeks before we had the opportunity to talk to her. In our first call with the judge, she referred to, quote, Deshaun's pattern of behavior. Her mind was made up before we ever presented the counter. I don't know why that was deleted. I just pointed out, we call it, call it like we see it. You know, Deshaun's pattern of behavior is not a subjective term, right? There are 24 women that are alleging a pattern. It's not the judge coming up with that. It's just Facts. If 24 people allege something to have happened, they're alleging a pattern to have occurred. So I don't know. You know, I, uh, some things they think are better left unsaid. I think every time the Browns hold a press conference, they just go three, four, five steps back. Like, you know, whatever came out, the settlement happened. It is what it is. Right. I don't I don't know why everyone feels the need to keep chiming in on this. You know, but it is what it is. I don't know, Mike. Do you have anything to add on the agent's comments? We're seeing visceral reactions from everybody involved here. You know, like I said earlier, that the settlement was obviously disagreed upon by both sides, yet this was some sort of amicable middle ground that people can just move forward. But I think if you want to also talk about a pretty visceral reaction, you have to you have to go to Tony Busby. We've talked about Busby a number of times on this podcast and how open he was in social media. You know, Rusty Harden accusing him of, of trying to try this in the public eye and using social media to attack Deshaun Watson. But this was a comment from Tony Busby on this matter. So 
By settling this matter the way he has, Roger Goodell has proven one of two things. Either his recent rhetoric was utter baloney or his bark is much worse than his bite. My belief is that he is nothing more than a paper tiger. The message today to all victims is clear. If you believe you have been sexually assaulted by a powerful person, keep your mouth shut and go away. The NFL has certainly demonstrated that its ownership and the organization doesn't care. To all sexual assault survivors, do not allow this recent, quote, punishment, end quote, to deter you. Keep speaking up and keep speaking out. Your voice matters. You are making a difference. We stand with you. Now, two things. Obviously, that's when I read that and saw that, that that's he's clearly talking about what's happening with Watson. But you also can't not think about what's happening with the Washington commanders. I mean, everything that's happening with Dan Snyder and, and the situation there and how the NFL is handling that, too. So I imagine it's kind of coming from both sides. And I, I also imagine that most of the people involved with the Washington commanders are seeing what's happening with Watson and seeing how the NFL is handling that, too. So there's there's a lot of uncertainty, I think. Uh, people were maybe just happy happy that this is over, but at the same time, people are now talking about what does this do for precedent moving forward? Dan, you talked about it on the on the spaces that it was basically roughly three game suspension per victim. It's interesting where the NFL goes from here. I think the Browns are just going to be in for it this year. I think, you know, even freezing cold takes when we had Fred Siegel on, on the last podcast, he talked about it. the Browns are going to go through it. They're going to they're going to have these types of reactions against them. So time will tell. You know, so much for Busbyisms. You know, he's kind of uh, gone back into you know normal legal territory without uh, resorting to breaking news on Instagram. But utter baloney, utter baloney, right? I did find at least as I read the comments, right? Does Busby is the attorney for all twenty-four of the women that had filed lawsuits? Twenty-five, I guess. If you, if you want to talk to talk about the one woman who which you were faced, all the women that have filed lawsuits, Busby has represented. So you know, with respect to a settlement. Usually an NDA is going to present, going to prevent the parties or the litigants of the case to talk poorly about one another, talk about any, any type of settlement. So there's a non-disparagement agreement or a non-disclosure agreement. It's usually a, a proper agreement or a confidentiality agreement, whichever way you want to call it. It's going to have elements of all three, right? You can't talk about it if you talk about it there, uh, or if you speak badly about the other side, there are some issues. So if you read that statement, Watson... It, it, it's almost Busby is talking about Goodell being toothless. He's not really going after Watson, which is interesting. I would find it odd that any settlement would not similarly, or there would be a conversation amongst attorneys. Hey, we're settling these cases. Busby, you shouldn't be able to talk about them anymore. So, you know, I, I do note that. And again, you know, we talked about the spaces, but there's a lot of things that are a lot of still remaining loose ends. So if you're a Browns fan, you listen to this, Sean Watson, you know, you're trying to, you're in a dynasty league and you have Deshaun Watson. I would constantly be concerned that something could happen, right? And the statute of limitations has not yet run for the civil cases, still could see some more. And the statute of limitations doesn't exist in the NFL circuit. So I don't know. Well, the episode has gone on long enough. But uh, yeah, it's certainly a very big chapter that's closing. I'm starting my New York law school class, my sports law class on Monday. The, you know, I have to finish the syllabus tonight because my class starts next week. But I think I'm going to have like three classes specifically dedicated to Deshaun Watson, civil side, the criminal side, the NFL side. I don't know. It's a lot of interesting legal elements here. But Mike, I'm done. I emptied the full tank on Watson. I'm ready to not talk about Watson for like another week. You know, this puts a pin in our conversation about Watson. And for, for now, puts a pin in the conversation about 
you know, Watson's entirety of, of his civil suits here. I mean, we still have the one we're waiting on to see if that settles ultimately as well. And if more, if more cases come out, then, then what do we do? Then what happens? Is there, is there another arbitration that needs to be heard here? Is there, is there more punishment that needs to be brought out? I'll leave you with this, Mike. We're trying to figure out what, what, what we have not discussed. Our last episode, Mike, you and I were on it with John Nucci, called it Sports Defamation. Trevor Bauer and Patrick Reed. Deshaun Watson has always claimed his innocence, right? That's the comment from the agent. Where's Deshaun Watson's defamation case, right? You're really, you're really that innocent, right? Trevor Bauer went out and he did it himself. I'm not saying, I'm not Judge Robinson. I didn't hear the evidence, right? I wasn't the grand jury. But if you're going to boldly proclaim your innocence over and over and over, you're, you're saying you did not do anything wrong. You're not apologizing, right? You are inherently saying that 25 women are lying which there are people in my replies that are saying that, which is fine right there. How are they all represented by the same person? So, you know, I'll ask you this, Mike, and there's no, this is not an an easy and easily answerable question. If you're Deshaun Watson, why have you at no point in this case talked about or actually followed through with the defamation case? Patrick Reed did it, right? Trevor Bauer did it. Casey Close did it. Where's Deshaun Watson's? Because it, it truly comes down to it. He said, she said. I mean, they all are, but nobody knows what happened in those rooms. There were depositions that were conducted. But again, I mean, if there's any sort of veracity to their claims, why didn't Rusty Harden file a motion to dismiss? If it didn't actually happen, then wouldn't, wouldn't that be their first avenue? Wouldn't, wouldn't, they, wouldn't they file a motion to dismiss? You know, the closest comparison in our sports you know, conversation right now is Trevor Bauer. Another, he said, she said, no cameras in the room, no nothing like that. Bauer, you know, say what you want about Bauer. The man has, has always said that he's innocent. He's always said the other side was lying. And I, I don't have anything to criticize Bauer for from a legal perspective. I'm not going to talk about anything with respect to the allegations. But Bauer put his money where his mouth is. And he said, they're lying. So if I can show that they're lying, I'm going to file a lawsuit. And he did it. So why there was no motion to dismiss? Because in the court of law, Right. There's issues of gray. You have to show there's no factual issues in order to get a motion for summary judgment. You really can't win a he said, she said case. But if you're trying to protect your reputation. Right. There's a difference between winning the case and just doing it, having a good faith basis for doing it, for protecting your, rep- your reputation. And Watson hasn't taken that step. So I don't understand how this is. This is just me not understanding the PR. Watson's proclaiming his innocence while not apologizing to the women. So, okay, Watson, you think the women are lying. Where's the defamation case? That's just, that's where my mind goes. And or where he can speak about it, right? That he doesn't want to get hit with an anti-slap and, you know, have to deal with costs and whatnot. But I have not heard anything of this sort. Yeah, but I feel like Bauer's a little bit, it's odd, the Bauer situation. We've talked about the comparisons to this, just mostly because of the allegations and, and how similar they are with, with, are with sexual assault. Bauer went through the criminal process. They didn't find enough to bring charges, didn't find enough to, to grant a restraining order. It was the same thing with Watson. Watson went through grand jury and they didn't find enough evidence to bring charges as well. So now what we're seeing is Bauer going through the civil aspect of it. So Watson had all these civil complaints and we saw these depositions occurring and we talked about it in our last episode. Now Bauer is going to be moving forward with depositions and, and the he said, she said aspect of it. All he, He's basing his defamation case off of right the criminal aspect that we have criminal judge, superior court, saying that, that there was not enough veracity for the restraining order and the DVRO. So I don't know. I think what we're seeing with Watson kind of finishing in this, this settlement here could potentially happen with Bauer as well. And then we see Bauer do the same exact thing where he 
claiming his innocence. He's claimed his innocence this whole time and then comes out with an apology. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. We have certainly emptied the tank and then some. I don't expect there to be any other worthwhile watch of news. But certainly when Dan Wallach is able to come back on, uh, you know, he, he, again, we'll say it again, say it a hundred times, Dan Wallach nailed the 11-game suspension. So Dan gets all the credit. There are other people claiming, oh, I predicted 11 games. No one else did. So call the shot at whoever is making that prediction. No one predicted 11 games. They predicted a lot of other things. Wallach nailed that 11-game uh, prediction. So, yeah, I'm certainly one to uh, give Dan his flowers. Dan is uh, always on the ball there. Okay, let us put us in the books for Dan Wallach, myself, the entire Conduct Detrimental family. We'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Detrimental.